Episode 30, Defensive Posture and Custodian Change. Welcome to Retirement Tactical Money Management. Joe Cantu, Chief Investment Officer of Cantu Tactical Wealth Management, is your host and has over 30 years of experience in the retirement money management profession. He is a West Point graduate with a Master's in Business Administration and has worked for three of the largest Wall Street firms as a stockbroker and portfolio manager. Episode 30, Defensive Posture and Custodian Change. I believe that we're almost out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic as vaccines are rolling out slowly worldwide. There is a vaccine out in Russia. Uh, I think one's starting to develop in Africa. I think within 60 days in the United States, we'll see a vaccine roll out and maybe one or two. And it remains to be seen which one may be dominant, which one has the least side effects. That's a whole other issue in itself. If the school children are going to be vaccinated, the army, I mean, and then what? who has what priority? Who knows? But that's another fiasco. Um, I'm uh, doing this podcast here in Waco, Texas, and uh, it's, it's amazing that Waco is starting to get back to normal, but everyone is still practicing social distancing. Uh, and they're, everybody's making a, a great effort at, at doing that. Uh, but it does appear that things just, uh, are coming back to more uh, normal, if you, if you may. Uh, let's talk about the market for a moment. Um, many of my uh, customers are listening to this podcast, but if you look at your August 36th, 31st statement at 2020, uh, it was probably the very best statement, um, at least for our firm, in looking at it. And one of the reasons is is that uh, we participated in the market recovery. And we did that by having anywhere from 75 to 85% equities in the portfolios, but not just any equities. It's been more of a stock picker's market, so to speak. So we had to kind of pick and choose what stocks the, to put in our portfolio. And of course, you know, we went with the, some of the biggest names in the S&P 500 that we feel are bulletproof for the long term, not for the short term, but maybe for the long term, such as Amazon. Amazon may have actually benefited during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic situation, but there's other great companies out there uh, that we like owning. For, and we move in and out of these positions, but for example, Apple has a good business model and has a long-term, you know, aspects. And then there's, of course, Microsoft, Facebook, uh, and even some some simple stocks such as McDonald's has a good business model. And, you know, of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, companies like McDonald's actually benefited. They may have had more revenue because people, you know, would, you know, they had to do the order out thing or take out whatever. So companies like McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Domino's, um, the restaurants were being shut down. You couldn't do inside dining, but these fast food restaurants really uh, did well during the pandemic. So again, uh, we we added 75 to 85 percent in the portfolios, and it turned out to be such a great move. Uh, the markets uh, began moving up. Uh, Really, I guess the mar the bottom of the market was about March 16th, 
we were all in cash for uh, a few weeks, and then we got back in the market in April, and then the market started moving up. April wasn't such a great month, but uh, you know, as it moved on, May was a good month, June was a good month, July was a good month, and of course, August was a spectacular month. It's interesting that the S&P 500 set 18 new highs moving uh, to the end of August. Now, it's no secret that September, uh, October are normally, uh, historically rather, the two most volatile months of the year. Now, this could have been different. Uh, if the rally had continued, it's possible that the rally could have continued because it was a rebound from the pandemic and that uh, maybe some of the other stocks could have participated. But still, you have energy stocks that are way down. Uh, some of the transportation stocks like the cruise ship stocks aren't doing that well. And even the airline stocks are still not doing that well. I think the industry that's probably depressed the most uh, is probably the, um, I'm going to say the energy stocks. Even the casino stocks are starting to rebound as, as well. And they were shut down for quite some quite some time. But again, looking at our portfolios, uh, the August 31st statement was probably the best statement out there. Now, as we move into September, why is September and October such volatile months? Well, it's because, number one, there's fiscal year in for many companies that occur in September or October. It could be in a September 30th date or October 30th or October 31st. But many of them do buys and sells during that period, either on inventory, products, uh, just whatever, trying to kind of reset the stage for next year. Now, in addition to that, mutual fund companies, many mutual fund companies have their fiscal year in for uh, September 30th, or the fund itself may have a fiscal year in of October 31st or October 30th. Now, what they do during these, these next two months is they are repositioning some of their stocks, maybe getting rid of stocks that they don't like, selling those positions, only to come back into the following months in November, December, to be buying the positions or resetting new positions. So it causes September to be, and October, to be very, very volatile months. If you remember, the crash of 87 happened in October. I believe the 29 crash happened in October. Um, in 2008, the financial crisis occurred in September and October. You know, it's funny, but, but who put Halloween in October? <laughs> I mean, it is just a scary, scary month for volatility. However, you have to kind of be patient. And just like looking at the weather and making forecasting models, we have a forecasting model here in the market. And the forecasting model says that September, October's are typical, very volatile months, much like you can say the hurricane season is, is a volatile period. But then after that, we have one of the best months of the year, and that's November. And the reason November is such a great month is because it's a new fiscal year in for many companies, especially globally, and pension assets on a global scale are added in the months of November. And then they, of course, send those orders, hopefully, to their, or, uh, historically, to their traders. And over the next few weeks in the month of November, they may go in and start buying uh, stock with those pension contributions. They don't want to buy it all in one day because they could cause the stock to run up. So it takes several weeks to make some of those purchases that they're uh, making for their uh, pension portfolios. 
Um, anyway, and also from a mutual fund standpoint, many of the mutual funds are repositioning some of their new stocks in their mutual fund portfolios as well. Then you get to December. Now, in December, we have something called the Santa Claus Rally. And uh, uh, it's nicknamed the Santa Claus Rally, but it's really capital gain and dividend reinvestment that occur at year end. And it typically occurs between the months of December 15th and uh, through all the way through about December the 30th. So you have different mutual fund companies issuing their capital gains. Uh, for example, Fidelity, I'm just making this up, but could be Fidelity on the 15th, Vanguard on the 16th, Janus on the 17th, BlackRock on the 18th, like that. So they're just dividend, different dividend uh, distributions. But now imagine all the 401ks around the world that are on dividend and capital, or those are capital gain distributions. Let me correct that. Those are capital gain distributions. And those capital gains came from the buying and selling in September, October. Now, what's interesting about that to note is that if you had a big year in the market, then you know the capital gains is going to be a big payout. Well, this year is a big year in the market. My expectations are that this Santa Claus rally will be very big. Now, if in fact it's a poor year in the market and you don't have large capital gains or even a bad year, then the Santa Claus rally may be very poor or hardly occur even at all. Uh, but anyway, it is capital gains and dividend reinvestment. But then you have the capital gains reinvestment and you have dividends, normally the quarterly dividends. They're being paid out as well uh, at, at year end. And so you have that combination of all the 401ks and electronic investment programs just reinvesting the money back into that market. And you can say that that causes an artificial gain in the market because of the Santa Claus rally. Artificial or not, it can cause the market to move up if you have big capital gains for the year. And my expectations are for 2020, we're going to have big capital gains for this year. So uh, let's talk about uh, at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management that we repositioned our accounts into a more conservative posture uh, pending the election outcome. So um, that's another factor that why we went defensive, but also the fact that we just were moving into September, October. So we typically add fixed income positions, or we call those counter market positions, um, to the account. Now, they're not completely counter market. They're, I should say they're more quasi counter market. In essence, when the stock market goes down, many of these investments move up. So we have moved from a 75 to 80 percent posture of being equity heavy down to a 40 percent or less posture of, of our equity positions and a 60 percent posture of being fixed, in, fixed income and counter market heavy. So that defensive posture is, again, for two reasons. Number one, because we are in the months of September, October, they are very volatile. And number two, because of the pending elections coming up. Now, the reason we do this is to protect the money that we made. So if our accounts had hit, which they have, they've hit an, uh, an all-time high in August 31st statements, we want to try and capture some of those gains. So in our portfolios, we sold down many positions 
Uh, in other words, if we had a 5 or 6%, a good example is Apple and Amazon both. We had a 5 to 6% positions in both of those two securities and Microsoft as well, Microsoft. And so we sold those positions down, taking the profit that we had to about a 1.5% position. So uh, we just wanted to take the profit because we thought that there would be a sell-off, and there has been a sell-off. Now, granted, the accounts may be moving down just a little bit on a percentage, but on a percentage basis, it's, it's not a very big percent versus the amount of money that we've made on our portfolios. But likewise, uh, we have added, in addition to that, we've added more fixed income and counter-market securities, such as bonds, uh, and we've added different types of bonds, the long-term uh, treasury bonds, government bonds to the portfolio, to give us a, uh, a less of exposure to the equity markets and a greater exposure to the fixed income markets. Uh, it's just more conservative. So we've made the accounts much, much more conservative. Um, and so we have over a 30% position in uh, uh, fixed income and alternatives to include gold as well. Um, and then we've added some counter market securities, direct counter market securities, such as the inverse of the S&P 500. And that, when the stock market goes down, it goes up directly. Now, we will not hold that position for the long term. It is simply a hedging position to protect our uh, portfolios. So uh, many uh, hedge funds use an inverse position in their accounts uh, as well. It is a hedging position. And the word hedging means, you know, it protects the principal. Uh, it hedges it against the market going negative and that's what we've done in the accounts so we have moved that hedging position uh, uh, between a 10 and uh, and 12 percent position in the portfolios it's possible we could move it up to a 15 percent position um, at a later date but again all of this together basically means we are a in a defensive posture and we will remain in this posture until the election outcomes. Now, our actions are, are currently that with this 40-60% mix um, in our portfolios, that if the outcome for the election is a Biden win, uh, we will move it into a more conservative and defensive posture perhaps beefing up the fixed income bond positions and adding utilities as an example to the portfolio, simply because the Biden win indicates a Democratic platform. They believe in higher taxes, uh, so we anticipate a market sell-off in that situation. So we need to, we can still make money in the portfolios, but you have to make it off of different types of investments. So it could be, you know, in our case, fixed income, utilities, uh, maybe consumer staples, we might add that. We currently don't own consumer staples, but we could add that to the positions. Now, if there is a Trump victory, we will reinstitute our equity-heavy posture, assuming the stock market will skyrocket. The reason that we think the stock market will skyrocket, because that means that um, in terms of taxation, that taxes will remain 
low in the United States for the next four years. And on that expectation, we anticipate the stock market will just take off. Now, this isn't anything new. This is a little bit of forecasting. As a matter of fact, all you have to do is look at history. What happened in 2016 when Trump was elected? The day after Trump was elected, it was interesting because the um, that night, the futures went way down. They were down over a thousand points at night. But then he gave his acceptance speech. And it was funny. A lot of the uh, it, it is amazing that the news media uh, is so, I guess, anti-Trump. And for whatever reason, I don't really know why. But they were actually on the news the morning of the next day expecting the stock market to go way down and be a major sell-off, and, and it wasn't. <laughs> and it's interesting how they, they did a special report, and it the special report lasted for like seven or ten minutes, and when the stock market didn't go down, it actually started doing the opposite, going up. They, they went off the air. Well, let me, let me continue that story. Basically, the markets went up for the next 14 months straight. Now, I've been in the business 32 years, and I have never seen the markets go up for 14 months like that. And um, in general, it was just a 14-month run. We now, history now calls this the Trump rally. And uh, so there was this Trump rally after the 2016 election, which started on the very next day, I guess on November 9th, I think, uh, was when that started and continued. So if history, it's funny how history has a way of repeating itself, it's very possible that you could see something of this nature again uh, in the market if Trump gets reelected. And that would be great for, uh, for the equity markets. And then again, in our case, we will follow suit and we will uh, reposition our accounts as the way they were positioned in August, uh, at the beginning of August, that is, and to be equity heavy and to take advantage of this and make money for our customers and our clientele. And that's what we plan to do if there is a Trump victory. Now, despite who's president, whether it's a Biden victory or Trump victory, what happens when the vaccines start rolling out? Well, when the vaccines start rolling out, then again, we believe that the global markets will take off regardless of who's president. So we anticipate a very uh, brisk and uh, moving momentum, moving uh, markets around the world uh, to continue to a higher level. And again, we will participate in that as well. Now, who knows how long that rally will continue based upon the vaccines? That part I don't know. Uh, but my point is, is we will participate that until it starts to turn the other way. And then when it starts turning the other way, we do what we do here at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management. We take a defensive posture or we take profits. That philosophy of moving on to the next investments and taking profits, it calls sector rotation. The strategy here at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management is we, our goal is to maintain the top five sectors for a given month. Now, what's interesting about that concept is the top five sectors for a month may not be stock, could be bonds. So if the market was falling, for example, in a 
trending period, that top five positions could all be fixed income securities. So what would we own at Kansas Tactical Wealth Management? Fixed income securities. And it also may be some inverse securities as well. Our goal is to own the top five, so that's what we do. This is, in our opinion, this is so much uh, a, a much better way of managing wealth than the strategic approach. So we're a tactical manager. The strategic approach uses a 40-year average, and they just kind of use a shotgun approach to diversify your money, and then they just walk away. I call that the buy and hold strategy, kiddingly called the buy and hope strategy. And that's more of a strategic method. It says, I don't care what the market's doing. This is what we're going to own. The problem with the strategic method is that if you use that method, you end up taking losses, severe losses if the market goes down. Like in March, for example, the market went down over 30% this past March during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we did not lose 30% in uh, uh, here at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management, our losses for March were between uh, two and a half to four and a half percent, averaging about three and a half percent. So much better than the thirty percent losses that the market had in March. You know, it's crazy, but some portfolio managers had thirty-five, forty percent losses. You know, uh, it was just horrible for them. Anyway. Um, you know, we're much different here at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management. We believe in our philosophy of sector rotation. Okay, the next thing to talk about is uh, this Fidelity investment situation with them charging living fees or charging fees to, to their customers now, custodial fees, which they haven't in the past, but they're doing it now. Uh, but before I talk about it, I want to talk about being a fiduciary. There's two concepts in the investment world, and that's suitability. Is the investment suitable for the customer? And then the other one is, does is the investment in the best interest of the client? And we call that the best interest rule versus a suitability rule. All investments have to be suitable. That's according to the Security Exchange Commission if you're an investment advisor. But not all advisors have to act in the best interest of their client. In other words, they can overcharge them or the product that they're using overcharges them. A good example of that is annuities. Annuities typically overcharge a customer. There's a place for annuities in special situations. Uh, I would say only 10% of the time, the other 90%, they're, they're really not good investments. They have a lot of high fees. Here at Cantor Tactical Wealth Management, we do not sell annuities. We do not sell insurance. Anyway, back to the fiduciary rule. We are a fiduciary here at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management, and that means that we have to act in the best interest of our clients. In doing so, we have to analyze fees. We're always in that uh, in that arena of analyzing fees, looking at investments that may have fees or expense ratios or things like that. And this is the case with Fidelity Investments. So, last year, many companies went to a commission-free uh, format for their customers not charging commissions. Now, the way Fidelity worked with um, institutional money managers is the institutional money managers would charge their quarterly fee to the customer, but then in turn, Fidelity would charge commissions on the trade transactions. Now, those commissions, they paid for statements. Uh, those are called custodial. Uh, those were fees that went to the custodian. 
and they paid for statements, reviewing, holding the assets, doing all the above. But as other firms, uh, last year, TD Ameritrade, uh, Schwab, many others went to commission-free, Fidelity followed suit, and they went to commission-free trading too as well. Now, what's interesting about Fidelity versus other institutions, Fidelity is a family-owned company uh, primarily. So uh, they're not a publicly traded firm, such as Charles Schwab is a publicly traded firm. So as a result, um, they, they have certain, I guess, policies inside their their firm, and and uh, such as, uh, well, j just on the way they, they practice their business uh, internally. Anyway, as a result, when they went to commission-free trading, they weren't making any fees from customers anymore uh, from the commissions. Now, I had questioned them last year because uh, our, our two custodians are Fidelity Investments and Charles Schwab, and I'm not recommending those. That's just who they currently are. Um, actually, we're, we are approved at, as, as I'm doing this podcast on September uh, the 22nd, 2020, uh, our custodians are Fidelity Investments, Charles Schwab, and TD Ameritrade. And uh, so uh, now, now, to, to move forward, to, to be straight with you, we are not going to be using Fidelity Investments anymore. And it's because they're charging a custodial fee uh, to our customers. So I had asked Fidelity last year about, about the, you know, how are you going to make money since you can't charge your commissions anymore, you know. And they were $4.95. They're very inexpensive, uh, you know, regardless of the size of the, of the trade you're doing whether it's $1,000 or whether it's, you know, $100,000, it was four ninety five a trade. And they said, oh, Joe, you know, you know, we make money off of money market and some other things like that. And I said, okay, but you got to realize this is in November. So when the COVID-19 hit in February and March, interest rates went to zero. They went to zero because the Fed stepped in very rapidly and they dropped interest rates to zero to get the economy going again. And uh, that's one of their... Uh, tools that they use to uh, start the engine on the economy is interest rates because the cost of money is interest rates. If, ever, if you've ever heard that term, what is the cost of money? The cost of money is interest rates. So if you lower the cost of money, then money is more readily available to be borrowed or transacted. So that's what the Fed does. Now, so if they drop the interest rates to zero, then Fidelity, who is making money on money markets and other things, all of a sudden they don't make any money anymore. So as a result, uh, they they have looked at their business model, and unfortunately, they now have to levy, uh, you know, these custodial fees against, you know, in our case, against uh, our clients. But you know, my heart goes out to Fidelity, and and uh, and I understand that the whole business model of of the whole brokerage system is pretty much changing, but not at the expense of, of our clientele. So in, in our particular case, we have done our research and analysis. We've made several calls, uh, looked at several platforms, and, uh, and we have decided to move to TD Ameritrade. Now, what's interesting about that and the TD Ameritrade platform is, is a, a great platform 
for us in terms of block trading and the way we conduct our business. Uh, the statements, in addition, show the uh, the dividend yield of a customer statement, which is better than the, the Fidelity one. The Fidelity doesn't show the dividend, the anticipated forward uh, dividend yield of the investment, uh, whereas uh, TD Ameritrade's does. Uh, so that's an added benefit to the customer. But anyway, they were purchased by Charles Schwab this summer, and the transaction should be complete, I think, probably in October. There were some some things that had to be signed off for, I think, at the TD Ameritrade, uh, I don't know, Philippines or Taiwan division. I, I don't know where it's at, but Asian division. And I think that'll be finished. Now, what's interesting is that um, that Schwab bought the TD platform because of its technology is one of the major reasons. Um, and to be quite blunt, since we are we have custodians at Schwab, TD Ameritrade, and and uh, Fidelity, the uh, Schwab trading platform is is very lacking. And uh, for example, I, I know this is something very small that a lot of people, you know, it may not matter to them, but it matters to us. When we conduct a block trade, sometimes if it's a thinly traded position that we want to pick up on, we will send the trade limit order not held. Now that allows the trader being, he's not held responsible for, you know, the, the timing of, of it. it. It allows the trader to look at the market evaluate the market, uh, conduct his analysis, and then to work the trade to get a better price for us. And uh, in Schwab, for example, you, you can't on the ticket system load in a not held order. It, it doesn't exist. In Schwab case, you have to actually call the desk and then you can put a not held order in that way. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just very cumbersome. So it, it makes sense to me that Schwab went ahead and bought the technology for TD Ameritrade. And my guess is it'll probably be about a, maybe a two to three year, who knows, uh, time period for them to fully integrate that trading platform into Schwab, which will make it more advanced uh, system. The other thing about Schwab, Schwab also owns a bank. And then in addition to that, uh, they... Uh, uh, they just acquired, I guess, about $100 million in accounts, uh, customers from USAA. They made that acquisition as well. And that's going to add a lot of revenue to their bottom line. So our anticipation is, is that uh, one of the reasons we are moving to TD Ameritrade is they are not charging a custodial fee to our customers. And then looking at it down the road, down in the future, we do believe that, you know, it, it will be either a couple of years, three years, four years, who knows how long, but it'll probably be many more years before, if a custodial fee is levied against our customers, that it may be a long time before it ever is, simply because Schwab has other ways of making money, which under the, you know, the family-owned business of Fidelity, it's, it's, it's so much different. Uh, so we actually anticipate our fees perhaps being even higher next year for our customers. We think that Fidelity is searching for a level as to what they're going to charge their their custody, their uh, their customers, this custodian fee. 
And we actually think that, uh, and again, this is just my belief. It's not the belief of Fidelity. And I've not been told this. It's just Joe Cantu's belief. I believe that they may, over a two or three year, four year period, may search to find out what that that level of uh, of custodial fee should be to an institutional customer. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. My point is, is that we've done our research and analysis and we're not sticking around to be the experiment, in our opinion, for uh, Fidelity in charging this custodial fee to our clientele. I wish them the best in their endeavor. It's a complicated system. I do agree that the, uh, the brokerage uh, business model has changed dramatically with all these firms going to commission-free trading. You know, I, I, I typically understand we are in a world of capitalism. I mean, we, here in the United States, people got to make money. It's about making money. You don't work for free. I get it. But again, uh, as fiduciaries, we have to do what's in the best interest of our clients. And in our case, we have selected to move uh, our, uh, hopefully, to our customers, uh, we'll move to TD Ameritrade if they would like us to continue to manage their account. As of, uh, I don't know the exact date, but approximately, approximately October 30th, we will not be uh, managing money at Fidelity Investments anymore. This concludes my podcast. Uh, hopefully this was helpful to my clients in trying to understand things uh, about the market. Uh, if there is a Trump uh, victory, we will go back equity heavy and reinstitute that. And as I said before, again, if it's a Biden victory, we will uh, get more defensive posture on it. Overall, we think with the vaccines rolling out, the market will continue higher. And in the long run, regardless of who's president over the next, say, I don't know, three to seven years, we think there's going to be a manufacturing boom in the United States. You know, during the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, the Chinese restricted sending a lot of products to the United States. Uh, I mean, from anywhere from masks to things they made, to drugs, to uh, technology. And what it caused companies to do in the United States and probably other countries around the world as well, India, Europe, to say, hey, look, if they're not going to ship things to us, then we need to do this manufacturing ourselves in our own country. So not just the United States, but other countries as well. So I think you're going to see a manufacturing boom around the world in manufacturing. And I think that will cause good markets ahead, regardless of who is president in the United States and regardless who may be your leaders, your, you know, whether it's a prime minister, a king or monarch, whoever your monarch or leadership is in your country. I do believe in the long run that uh, that uh, we'll be in a, in a world wide manufacturing boom uh, again over the next, say, four to seven years uh, looking ahead. That concludes my podcast. We have some disclosures at the end that we must make. Um, if you have any questions, uh, please call me. Uh, 
My number's on the website at Cantu Tactical Wealth Management. Joe Cantu, Chief Investment Officer of Cantu Tactical Wealth Management, is your host and has over 30 years of experience in the retirement money management profession. He is a West Point graduate with a Master's in Business Administration and has worked for three of the largest Wall Street firms as a stockbroker and portfolio manager. Over 10 years ago, he created Cantu Tactical Wealth Management, which actively balances and selects investments based on a tactical approach rather than the traditional strategic management method. Instead of the buy and hold philosophy, he believes in the pursuit of finding investments showing momentum, performance regardless of the direction of the market. His experience includes IRA accounts, 401k rollovers, trusts, endowments, defined benefit plans, 403Bs, and 401k plans. Additionally, he served as a night college instructor for seniors, teaching high net worth retirement and estate planning for 14 years. Podcast views and personal opinions are for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute a recommendation. Investing has risk of loss and you should consult with your own advisors for any financial decisions. Cantu Tactical Wealth Management and Joe Cantu are a fiduciary firm and registered investment advisor in the states of California, Florida, Georgia, and Texas, providing pure independent advice and money management.